0: I don't think it's nice you laughing. You definitely need some tickets. <laughs> <laughs> so All right, you stay started to see back to so that order? Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? If you own a home that is mobile and 14 cars that aren't, you might be a redneck. I don't think that's I had a dream last night that a hamburger was eating me. <laughs> <laughs> We're in a series called Punchline. We're in week number three of a four-week series. Um, I was on vacation last week. We had a great time. As uh, Vanessa was flipping through her phone looking at some of our digital pictures from vacation, um, she ran across uh, some pictures that we took in 2015, uh, about three years ago. And she was looking at those pictures, and it's interesting. Here's what the pictures were. It was a little shocking. They were I don't have them to put on the screen because they were before pictures. Have you ever taken before pictures when you were decided to go on a massive diet? Because then you wanted to compare it to the after pictures and you're like, yes, look how great, look how much we've achieved and the goals. But we were looking at these before pictures and Vanessa's just like, oh my word, I want to be as fat as I was in the before picture (laughs) because... The three-year diet hasn't gone so well. And I was like, me too. That's where I want to be as well. So whatever you do, don't take before pictures because it just <laughs> you have an allergic reaction and you start swelling for three years. It doesn't work. You know, I, we laughed really hard as we looked at those before pictures and, and just thinking that's where we want to be and we're so far after, but that we want to be where we were. I want to say we laughed till tears were coming down. I love to laugh. I love to laugh. Now, when we think of Jesus, so often our first thoughts are, Jesus, the man of sorrows. And that's okay, because the book of Isaiah says, yes, yes, that is Jesus. But there's another aspect of Jesus that we don't see so frequently, and that is uh, because it's not obvious to us, but Jesus also laughed. You see, every culture has their idea of what is funny and what is not funny. And that's no different for the Jewish culture. In the first century, when Jesus was here on this earth, as part of his plan and the time he picked in history to be here, a very specific culture, a very specific um, definition of what is funny and what is not funny. So to us, not so obvious, but to the first century readers of the New Testament and to the first century people who were there listening to Jesus, they understood because it was their culture. So perhaps for us, one of the surest ways to see the humor of Jesus and the, the comic side of Jesus is to look at his exaggerated images That he uses when he teaches, because that's the heart of Hebrew humor. It was in the exaggeration. um, And and it borderlined on some absurdity. And that's what would make them laugh. And, And at one point, Jesus talks about the Pharisees how they would take water from a well and they would strain the water to make sure there were no gnats or bugs in the water, very careful to strain everything out of the water. And then Jesus said, then you would drink the water, and by the way you would drink it, you would actually swallow the camel sitting beside you. And when the people heard that, to them that was hilarious, that, the, how absurd that image was. And that was the heart of Hebrew humor. Uh, another part of the New Testament, Jesus said a, a, a good father would never give his son a snake when the son asked for a fish. And to them, that image was funny. It was hilarious. For us, it would be like watching the, the old Charlie Brown Halloween special. When Charlie Brown goes to the door, all the kids get candy in their, in their candy bags. And what did Charlie Brown get every time that the door opened? A rock, right? To us, that was funny. And that's kind of the way it was for them hearing that. A good father would never give his son a snake when he asked for a fish. That was funny to them. So today's punchline, we're going to find in Matthew chapter 15. And we're going to look at several verses here. So let's get started in verse 1. Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. So Now many of the previous encounters that Jesus has had with the religious leaders have been local synagogue leaders. But now, a band of travelers from Jerusalem have shown up to address Jesus. They have shown up. These are the professional... Religious guys. The pro-religious guys. They have sent in the big guns to address the Jesus problem. And here's how it goes down. They say in verse 2, these are the professional religious people speaking to Jesus, Why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? They demanded. They ignore our traditional, our tradition of ceremonial hand washing before they eat. Now, this is what you call an oral tradition. It has been handed down generation to generation verbally. This is not found in God's law. This was their own law, their own tradition, their own rule. And it was not. Part of what God said, it was something a rabbi said, and and it got passed down to another rabbi, another rabbi, and they equated that with God's law. They said, what we say is equal to what God says, and we say you need to have a ceremonial hand washing. That's what was going on here. Now, this particular tradition, this little man-made rule, this little man-made law, said that, that before a Jewish person would eat, they would need to go through a ceremony of washing their hands, washing their cups, washing their cooking equipment, anything they were using before they would eat and prepare the meal. And there were hundreds of these man-made laws. Hundreds and hundreds. And they were all oral traditions at this point. But later, some centuries later, they all got written down into a couple of books. One called the Talmud and the other the Mishnah. And they equated those books with God's law. They, they said, it's equal. What we say you need to do is equal with what God says you need to do. And Jesus now replies to them about this man-made law, verse 3. Jesus replied. So now he turns the table on them. He changes the subject. And why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commands of God? So Jesus is saying there are God's words, and there are your words. And only one of the two actually count, and it's not yours. It's God's. In fact, your little laws sometimes actually violate God's laws in many places. So Jesus goes on, verse 4. For instance, God says, honor your father and mother. And Anyone who speaks disrespectfully of their father or mother must be put to death. Now, in this culture, at this time, they didn't have a real problem with children sassing their parents because the kids knew the law. The whole village would go Jackie Chan on them, Clint Eastwood all over them, Chuck Norris, UFC, and there would be no Big John to stop the fight. So, there was a lot of respect for parents. No real disrespect problem here, but Jesus kind of shows them how they were disrespecting their parents. Verse 5, but you say, speaking to the Pharisees, it is all right for the people to say to their parents, "Uh, Mom, Dad, sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to God, I'm going to give God what I would have given you. See, one of these oral traditions was this man-made law that said that a, a child, an adult child, could dedicate food and crops and money and property to God. Which meant they did not have to use those resources the way God designed for them to take care of their parents as their parents aged. And they could say, oh, listen, Mom, Dad, sorry. I can't use that to help you. That's been dedicated to God. They could use it themselves for themselves while it was dedicated to God, but I don't have to use it for you. And Jesus goes on in verse 6, in this way, You say that they don't need to honor their parents. And so, you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. In other words, your little, ridiculous, man-made law has actually made God's law unlawful. Jesus goes on in verse 7. He says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you he wrote. We're going to say what he wrote in just a minute, but here's what he's saying. Jesus is probably saying to them that you didn't do this on purpose to invalidate God's law with your own law. You had good intentions. You had good reasons behind it, perhaps. You didn't really mean to invalidate God's law, even though some people did take advantage of it. For their own good. You, when you wrote this man-made law, probably didn't mean to invalidate God's law. But, this man-made tradition did not do what it was intended to do. That's what happens when you hold traditions more tightly than you hold on to God's word. And so Jesus calls them hypocrites, which means he's calling them actors. Someone who wears a mask pretending to be something that they are not. Now, before we get too tough on the Pharisees, we've all done some similar things with our own traditions. Have you ever heard the phrase, I heard this growing up all the time, You wear your Sunday best when you go to church, or you don't go. Have you ever heard that? I mean, I heard that a lot growing up. Not from my parents, I just heard it in the church culture. And you might say, well, no, 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 Harley. Our church doesn't adhere to that. Our church doesn't teach that. And I might think, well, okay. See, normally, I I have dressed up for Father's Day. But normally, on a hot summer day, on a Sunday morning, I'm in shorts. And I would say, well, can I wear this to your church? Shorts? Flip-flops? And they'd say, no, 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 no. I mean, you can't wear that. I mean, shorts? Short pants? In church? No, no. then you can't wear just anything, right? You can't wear that. Here's another one. Uh, uh, Man-made tradition. I heard growing up that Christians can't drink alcohol. Now, regardless of where you stand on that, this was a... Christian tradition that I heard. I don't know how you heard it, but I heard that Christians cannot drink alcohol. That's what I heard. Well, unless of course you have a really bad cold and you need some Nyquil, then the alcohol part is okay. But you know what? If if that's the case, if that's what the Bible says and what God teaches, I'm just just being real with you. If that's what the Bible teaches, then Jesus failed. And he sinned. But the reality is, he never failed. And he never sinned. Do you know what the biblical rule is? It's not, don't drink alcohol. Do you know what the rule is? God's rule, God's standard, he says, do not get drunk. That's the rule. Jesus never broke God's law. But I heard growing up, Christians don't drink alcohol. That's the way it was put to me. In fact, there are some churches who have constitutions written on the wall saying, if you're a part of this church, you will never let it touch your mouth. I'm just saying, Jesus could not be a part of that church. That's all I'm saying. We have equated our own rules and regulations, our own thoughts... We've equated those with God's words, with our own traditions. Here's another one. Pastors look like this. Tie, jacket, dress shoes. They don't look like this. Those are our own rules, our own traditions. You don't find it in God's word anywhere. In fact... You know what you do find in God's Word? You find this guy named John the Baptizer. And he was kind of an unusual preacher guy. He had some nasty hair. The dude lived in a cage, wore some funky clothes, and he ate bugs the way I eat cows. And you know what Jesus said about him and his funky self? Jesus said, "There is none; there are none greater than John the Baptizer." You see, we have in our culture and our traditions, we have some traditions that we hold on to tightly. More tightly than we do God's Word. Do you know what one of those is? Christians listen to Caleb. Not country. Not rock. Not that hippity hop. Christians don't dance. That's a huge one. Here's one. The room where the church gathers to meet on Sunday morning is a holy space... Reserved for spiritual activity, and many people call it, because of that, the sanctuary. Because it's a holy place. That's just Christian tradition. You do not find that in the New Testament. But here's the crazy thing about that. We call a room like this sometimes a sanctuary, and we say this is reserved for spiritual holy activity. Don't do anything weird in here or unspiritual. But yet, it does not matter what I do with this body, where I take it when I leave this room, what I do with it, doesn't matter at all what I do with this body. It only matters what we do inside of this room. But the crazy thing is this, the, this body, if you're a follower of Jesus, we do know what God says about that. He says that body of yours is God's temple where the Holy Spirit lives in you. And our Christian tradition says we get all bent out of shape and concerned about this room that is just a room that we call a sanctuary, but we will do anything we want to do with God's temple, our bodies. Christian tradition. And Jesus is saying, he's saying, listen guys, speaking to the Pharisees, You have a fatally distorted sense of priorities about following God. He's saying to the Pharisees, you have put the cart in front of the horse. And in doing so, you have actually missed God's way. And here Jesus says that another way in verse 6. Speaking of the Pharisees, these people honor me. With their lips. But their hearts. They are far from me. Jesus is bringing things back into perspective. Jesus says. It is your heart. It is what is inside you. Guiding you. The real you. Inside there. That is you. Who you are. Your motives. In your heart. That is what is important. Not your empty words. Jesus is making it obvious that their meaningless traditions have replaced a personal, growing relationship with God. Jesus is making it clear that them repeating behavior over and over again, some kind of spiritual behavior... They are making that more important than following God. Jesus is saying that them repeating spiritual words and spiritual phrases over and over and over again have become more meaningful than actually having a conversation with God. The religious system has actually replaced an actual relationship with god they have taken all of these man-made things mixed in a little of god's law and they have called it worship and jesus says now to them in verse 9 their worship is a farce for they teach man-made ideas as if they were commands from god Jesus is saying that their worship is superficial and their worship is empty. It is meaningless because it comes from human invention rather than from God's instruction. He's saying that the way they are worshiping God, God has been completely excluded from his own worship. Now, verse 10, Jesus goes on. Then Jesus called the crowd to come and hear. So he was speaking to the Pharisees. His disciples were probably there. There were probably a few listening in. But now Jesus calls to the rest of the crowd that is there, and he brings them in. Jesus calls to the crowd to come and hear. He says, listen, he said, and try to understand. Jesus said, I'm going to speak to you. Please, your job is to hit pause on all the busyness of your life, and I want you to think about what I'm getting ready to say, and I want you to work really hard to understand what I'm saying. So this is what he tells them. Please listen and understand, he says. So now Jesus is taking us back to where this conversation started, the original accusation of the Pharisees when they said, well, why don't your disciples follow our tradition of ceremonial wash before eating? And since they don't, then everything they eat is now dirty, and, and they are unclean, and they are defiled. That's what they were saying. Verse 11, Jesus goes back to that. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. In other words, the things coming into a person's mouth, They're just from the outside. Not really a big deal. But the things that originate from within you and come out of you, from deep inside of you, they come from inside of your heart. You are made dirty, not by what you eat, but by what is in your heart. Boom. Jesus just lowered the boom on the Pharisees. And now the disciples, they kind of push the Pharisees out of the way, they make their way to Jesus, and they kind of speak just to Jesus, probably where only Jesus and the disciples can hear. So here's what they say, verse 12. Then the disciples came to him and they asked, um, t- Do you realize you just offended the Pharisees, by what you said? So Jesus is in the process of telling everyone, Pharisees, who you have been following, following them so passionately, you can now get off of their trail and stop following the Pharisees. No need to follow the Pharisees. Because they have gotten off the trail, off the path of God, and they are not leading you toward the kingdom of heaven. You see, they have been so important, the Pharisees, so important to the Jewish culture until now. So Jesus gives them the setup. And here it is, verse 13. Jesus replied, Every plant not planted by my heavenly Father will be uprooted. Now the people hearing this, knowing he's speaking of the Pharisees and all of these little traditions that they have made, the rules they've made, they begin to smirk, except the Pharisees. And they're like thinking, Jesus, you you serious? And now Jesus delivers the punchline. Verse 14. He says, so ignore them. Here it is. They are blind guides... Leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into the ditch. And at that moment, there it is. They hear it. They imagine it. And they most assuredly laugh. Not the Pharisees, but everyone else. They imagine a blind tour guide. Ah, that's funny to them. A blind tour guide. How could that happen? And he leads Another blind person into a giant hole in the ground. How amazing. Knee slapper. That is so funny. And then someone says, I bet they didn't see that coming. Elbows. Oh, that is so funny. They're laughing. And Jesus is saying this through that humor. That God is pleased with faith, not tradition. Tradition. If these important, honored leaders of Israel, the Pharisees, have themselves fallen into a giant hole of tradition, he's saying, if you follow them, you are going to fall into that same hole. You know what? The Pharisees thought that they were leading everybody onto God's path. But they were in fact leading people off of God's path and into an eternity long pit. And then it gets even more funny here. Verse 15, Peter always jumps in. Then Peter said to Jesus, Ah, explain to us the parable that that says people aren't defiled by what they eat going all the way back to food he can't get his mind off the food and it's like jesus hitting his head oh peter peter verse 16 he says don't you understand yet peter you see even though the disciples of jesus were loyal to jesus and they were open to being taught what jesus had to teach the disciples at this point in their learning and their training and their following of Jesus, the disciples were also very often themselves off the mark, like the Pharisees were. And now Jesus breaks it way down for Peter. Really simple, the way I like it. I imagine the disciples who were getting in on this conversation, we're beginning to snicker, especially when Jesus said this to Peter. Verse 17. Peter, anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes out to the sewer. Now, Jesus liked him, obviously, some potty humor too. I'm an eighth grade humorist, (laughs) so that's right up my alley. But this is what Jesus is saying. Verse 18. But the words you speak come from the heart. That is what defiles you. You see, Jesus is saying that is the real you. That person on the inside. That person who is always thinking. Those thoughts that you have. That constitutes the real you. That is what is in your heart. That is what defiles you. Jesus is saying what gets into your heart It's not the food you eat. It's not what comes from the outside. That food you eat that gets into your heart that makes you dirty. No, 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 no. The mouth is not where things enter and get inside of your heart. The entrance to our heart as we learn in the New Testament, the entrance is our eyes. Be careful little eyes. What you see. Because that is what gets into your life, into your heart. Do you know the other entrance? Your ears. What you hear makes its way into your heart. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. What you hear gets into your life. And it can defile your heart. It's not what you eat. You see, what goes into the heart is what makes us dirty. Not what goes into the mouth. That's what Jesus is saying. What goes into the mouth, that doesn't go into your heart. What goes into your heart, that's what you let in through your eyes. And that's what you let in through your ears. Jesus goes on to verse 19. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander. Verse 20. These... Are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. Don't miss this. Jesus is telling us purity is not found in a ceremony. You see, the relationship between the Pharisees. And Jesus, at this moment when Jesus is talking to them, is reaching a boiling point. And now the Pharisees are not just looking to discredit Jesus. From this point on, they are going to find a way to kill Jesus. But that's all part of God's plan. What does this mean for us today? I believe that Jesus is telling us today that purity is not found in a ceremony and a ceremony, and as we end this today i 'm just going to ask you here 's what we 're going to do as we end i 'm going to ask you to take a heart survey along with me. These questions are for me as well they 're for you and they 're for me don 't answer out loud. This is for you to think about this week. And if you can't remember these, there's way too many questions for you to remember. Please go back and listen again to SoundCloud or listen to Facebook Live and listen to this again. Here are the questions. Please take this heart survey with me right now as we end. And the band is making their way up to the front. Here's the survey. What have you allowed yourself to look at That has planted itself and it has grown in your heart. What have you allowed? Here's the next question. What have you let in through your ears? What have you heard that you have allowed into your heart? And there it is and it is growing. Here's another one. This one gets tougher. What ceremony, what spiritual ceremony have you tried to use to get rid of what is in your heart? What spiritual magic wand have you waved around your life or over your life, over your family, in order to get rid of what is still in your heart? Here's another one. This one's tough. What religious activity or tradition have you substituted for a daily walking, talking, living relationship with Jesus? What tradition, man-made tradition, have you made as important as Jesus? Another one. What do you do Instead of reading the words of God for yourself. Another one. What do you do instead of having a daily, ongoing conversation with God? What have you made equal to God's words? Is it your own idea of what is right? Or the way things should be? Have you made equal to God's words... Something that someone else has said about God? What someone else has said on TV or or on the radio or what someone else has said in a book that you read? Or again, have you equated what you think it should be and the way things should be? Have you equated that, made that equal with what God has said? This is a tough one. What do you do that is initiated by you to make yourself feel clean or feel better or to make up for the feeling that you have that you've disappointed God? What tradition? What spiritual tradition are you trusting to clean your life up so that you can make it into God's heaven? My friends, we have all failed. I have too. And because of our failures, we deserve to be separated from a perfect, perfectly holy God forever. Forever. But God loves each one of us so much that He developed a solution for our problem of sin. And He carried out His plan at His cost as Jesus, God Himself, died for the sins of the world. And there on the cross, He defeated sin. And three days later though, Jesus, who died, walked out of that tomb alive, just as he predicted. And that is where he defeated death. And now, anything today that we ask to clean up our lives will fail apart from a daily. Walking, talking, growing, personal relationship with Jesus himself. So I ask you this. Have you submitted your life to the care and the control of Jesus? Some of you can say, yes, I have done that. But your daily decisions scream no. You can correct that starting now with a conversation with God. You can have that with God. But some of you have to say, no, no, Harley, I I have never done that. I I have not ever committed my life to the care and the control of Jesus. I've been waiting, maybe for the right time, and I encourage you. Perhaps right now, the time is right for you. You can do that right now. I'm just going to ask you to pray with me. And you don't have to pray this out loud. I call it a me too prayer. What I'm going to pray, all you have to simply say, if these words are what your heart is saying, you just simply say in your heart, God, that's me too. What Harley is praying, those are my words too. Count me in. That's me too. Let's pray. Jesus, I've tried this life on my own. And I cannot do for myself what it took you, God, to do on my behalf. So right now, I am giving my life over to you. To your care. Jesus, over to your control at this moment, right now. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen.